Well, good morning. It's so good to see all of you. Thank you for being faithful and being in the Lord's house. Uh, last week, we started a message called uh, Levels or Categories of Christian Teaching. And so what we're going to do here is uh, just review for a few minutes. We'll add some new material on the levels of Christian teaching. And then we'll make the first of two applications uh, to our congregation. Now, this is a message that um, the deacons have asked me to bring forward uh, to you. And so we're not making decisions here today. Uh, we would like to have a conversation with you in a few weeks. And so uh, you'll understand as uh, we begin to make the first of two applications. But the big picture here is for us to walk away today understanding the different categories of Christian teaching. Uh, some are just merely opinions. Um, some are preferences. Some are um, strongly held logical conclusions based from the Scripture, but quite a few are divine commands from Scripture. So those are the four basic categories that we looked at last week, uh, very clear biblical instructions and statements. You read the Bible and there's no way around them. I mean, you can understand it. It's so clear. Then there are those that we strongly hold. We call those logical conclusions uh, based upon what we see in the Scripture. Um, they are not as clear to other people. Um, and they, as we'll see, they don't necessarily have the same level of authority on our lives. And then it gets weaker after that. We, we come down to speculations, uh, such as when did the church begin and, and, and so forth. And then we come into what we would just call flat out preferences. Uh, so that's just a reminder of the four different categories that we looked at last week. Um, so one of the things that we looked at in the left-hand column was clear biblical statements, like how did we get the Bible? Is it just purely a book of mythology, just the writings of men? Um, and so we can just, you know, put the level of our denomination uh, with the same binding authority as the Scripture? Well, no, it is clear biblical statement that God inspired every word of the Bible. And so today's message, we're going to use the Bible because it's sufficient to meet every need that we have in life to give us the guidance. Well, we looked at the preservation of the Bible as a clear teaching. How do we know that we have the Bible for today? That it's not corrupt, that it didn't get worse and worse like the telephone game that you play with kids, you know, um, and you start out with one message and by the time it gets to the end of 10 kids, it's not even close to what it was when it started. Well, the Bible is not that way because God superintends the preservation of his word. He's told us that in Matthew 24, verse 35. Um, and for a lot of things going on in our culture today, how do we know that we have a creator and that we're responsible to him? So there's very clear statements. In the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27, God said, let us make man in our image. And so human beings, we didn't evolve and we just can't do whatever we want uh, with our bodies because we have a creator 
And there are some clear commands from Scripture that God tells us how to use our bodies and how not to use our bodies. But then we looked in that second category just quickly. We looked at um, logical conclusions such as Baptist distinctives. Well, we would see from the Scripture um, a clear command to baptize, right? I mean, every Christian denomination baptizes, but then what's not so clear is how do you do that? So some sprinkle, some pour, and Baptist, we dunk them, all right? Uh, we make bubbles come up, all right? So how do we hold that? Well, we hold that as a strongly held uh, conviction from the Scripture, but we have to be honest and say, well, some don't see it that way. So this is a logical conclusion, all right? Um, and then we talked about, just briefly, why are we not Pentecostal? Why are we not charismatic? Well, because we believe the sign gifts have ceased. Those are, are strongly held beliefs that we hold to. Then, uh, pure speculation, all right? And there's churches, good Bible-believing churches, all throughout America today, where the pastor is spending a lot of time preaching speculation. And uh, it seems to be what we would call a hobby horse, preaching on a particular translation of the Bible, and then spending a lot of time speculating about which family of Greek manuscripts are the best. All right, well, the truth is, you don't know. And so you have to just admit that that is a speculation. Uh, We looked at such things as uh, dietary choices. We talked about diets, you know, and uh, believe it or not, there have been pastors that have preached uh, with authority, thus says the Lord, you need to be on the hallelujah diet. You need to be on the Daniel diet. And uh, well, that's just a pure speculation. And so scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, how to deal with that. And then preferences, uh, styles of preaching. Do you like textual preaching? Do you like um, topical preaching? Do you like expository preaching? Do you like preaching filled with lots of stories and illustrations? All right. Hey, great for you, whatever you said. All right. So yes to all of them. Amen? So the Word of God is the Word of God. Uh, then we looked at uh, holiday celebrations. One person regards a holiday as important and, and will observe that, and another says, no, I'm not going to celebrate that holiday. And so there are Christians out there that do not celebrate Christmas. They just don't. Um, they think differently about that. And they say, oh, that's a pagan festival. And, and so Romans chapter 14, verse 5, tells us how we deal with that as just merely a preference. All right, now... As to application, all right, let's go to our second chart. And so this will be some new teaching here today that I would like you to understand. Clear biblical statements. So let's go for just a minute to uh, Acts chapter 7. So Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. And let's look at what is clear and then how it applies to our life. Acts chapter 7.
we have in here, in this particular chapter, preaching upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the first Christian martyr. Now, what's a martyr? Someone who dies for their faith. All right? So we see this in verse 60. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, saying, Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Well, what biblical doctrine, clear teaching, did Stephen die for? It's in chapter 7. What is it? It's the gospel. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, clear biblical teaching and truth, that holds that level of authority over our lives that, if need be, we would be willing to die for it. Uh, There are many, what we would call Protestant reformers, who died for clear Bible teaching. They were burned at the stake. Uh, They were imprisoned and died in prison. And uh, all kinds of other things that that went along with that. And so they died. And Christians have died uh, down through the years. Um, You heard in the missionary letter today, Dr. Cherian asking us to pray for a pastor in India whose church was strictly warned by the anti-Christians in that community, don't you preach the gospel? Don't you tell people about Jesus? And so in that, t- that city, they went so far as to go in with clubs and beat the Christians up. And you think, well, well, that doesn't happen here in America. Well, think again. Did you hear what was going on on the Johnson's letter? the local bishop of the LDS church, which stands for Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, are actively in opposition to James and Elizabeth as they try to spread the gospel in the United States. Because that's the Mormon little kingdom, right? So how dare these evangelical Christians come in here and try to preach the gospel? So their level of opposition... Uh, could be, well, they tell their congregation, now you shun that business. You don't go to so-and-so's business because they're going to that Christian church over there. So don't support those Christians. And so there's a, a level of that. But there have been examples of Christians having to die for their faith. Now let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. So now these are what we call letters to pastors, pastoral epistles. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, um, the opposition to even Paul's ministry, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept what? The faith. Now it has the definite article that, that goes with it. And so it's not just the gospel, it's all that is essential, all that is fundamental to the gospel, Christianity. So the faith is, is broader than just the gospel, all right? I want you to understand that. 
There are fundamentals, there are essentials, there are irreducible minimums that if you take them away, then it's not Christianity anymore, right? So, for example, you take away a literal atom, then you've just taken away the whole doctrine of Christ because Romans says he's the second Adam. Sin came by the first Adam. So if you take away the first Adam, then you have no explanation for how sin entered into the world. And then you have no explanation to how to cure sin. Because Jesus Christ, as the second Adam, lived a life of perfect obedience in place of the first Adam. So you, you just erased the gospel, the need for a Savior. And so these are, are things that are absolutely essential. Right? If you take away the integrity of Scripture and say, ah, oh, this book, it's just a bunch of stories and uh, they're not important. Well, then you've just called God a liar. So these things are absolutely fundamental. All right, let's say just for a moment, the virgin birth. Take that one away. I mean, after all, isn't it seem a little scientifically impossible that a virgin can conceive and bring forth a son? I mean, that's just a silly story. So you really know what happened, right? She was unfaithful to Joseph with a Roman soldier. And to cover it up, then Joseph went ahead and married her. All right? And, and this is just Joseph's child. This is another thing. You do away with the virgin birth, then you do away with the sinlessness of Christ because he didn't receive his sin nature from Adam. He received his spiritual nature from his heavenly father. And so he didn't receive a corrupted sin nature. So these things are irreducible. Uh, They're essential to the Christian faith. and, And if need be, we would die for these kind of things. So it's a belief for which we would die. It's a divine command that has no option. Now, does that seem a little redundant to say it that way? We live in a generation where children, well, not even children, but people in society think that commands are options. Doesn't work that way. All right? Um, So let's take our scriptures and go over to Romans chapter 16. So Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament. Romans chapter 16, let's look at verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause what? Divisions and offenses contrary to what? Doctrine. Contrary to my preferences? Contrary to my opinions, my speculations? No. Contrary to doctrine. So these people are causing division within the Bible-believing church of Paul's day, and they still cause division in Bible-believing churches today, by the way. Um, because they're not obedient to doctrine. And so we receive divine command here. Um, 
it says here, offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have heard, and do what? Avoid them. Right? So you don't give a platform to a false teacher. You don't allow that. At this level of Christian teaching, you don't compromise, you don't surrender on the essentials. Because if you do, then you don't have Christianity anymore. You do away with the deity of Jesus Christ. You don't have Christianity. You've got a different Jesus. You see, that's the, the number one doctrine where all the cults go wrong is the person of Christ. He's just a good religious teacher. Or he ascended to heaven and became a God then. Not a God. He is the God. And he was fully God in human form. And so we cannot surrender to the deity of Jesus Christ and still have Christianity. Um, Take for a moment the doctrine of grace and salvation. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You see, the LDS church says grace is this. For by grace are you saved after all you have done. You see the difference between what is fundamental in the scripture? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not as a result, lest any man should boast. Set that next to what the Book of Mormon says, for by grace are you saved after all you have done. That's a different doctrine. That's a different gospel. And so you can't do away with that. So you have to earnestly contend for the faith. So as to practice, this is a divine command with no option. It must be obeyed. All right, now, the level of importance. Let's look at this. Uh, Let's go to Jude, verse 3. So if you find Revelation, um, you will have passed Jude. But Jude is just one page before the beginning of the book of Revelation. It's a very short little letter, and it only has a few verses in it. Now, for some reason, I'm in the book of index. Oh, okay, let me keep going. All right. Look at what we're supposed to do uh, here in verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for what? The faith. Now, that has the definite article. It's not just for the gospel. It's for the faith. It's the things that are absolutely essential to the Christian message. And what are we supposed to do? What's verse 3 say? Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So Jude was of a mind and of opinion. I want to write a loving, compassionate, heartfelt inspirational letter to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the Holy Spirit says, you know, Jude, actually, I'm going to give you a different message. You've got to tell them to earnestly contend for the faith. 
Does anybody like to contend or to fight? Well, there might be a few people, all right? But that's not the normal Christian disposition, all right? Normal Christian disposition is compassionate, loving, gentle, meek, kind, and so forth. But here we have to earnestly contend. That means to strenuously fight for the faith, the things that are essential to sound doctrine, the things that become healthy for living. So you cannot be a healthy Christian if you don't earnestly contend for the faith. Now, I know I've been around long enough. Sometimes when a pastor really gets into a strong message, people kind of wilt under such strength. And they're like, yeah, I don't like that. Well, confrontation is never fun. So here we're, we're, we're told, confront, contend. Clearly make a difference. All right? So this is all under the area of clear biblical statements. Now, when it comes to logical conclusions, such as to Baptist distinctives and the mode of baptism, all right? It's just a strongly held uh, preference, but yet we believe it. You don't die for it. We together hold these things. This is what we believe. We willingly submit ourselves to the same standard. Now, years ago, um, there were about three, I think three families that, that wanted to join our church. It was all about the same time. And so I was handing out the, the statement of faith and they would read it. And I'd say, okay, now if you're in agreement with the statement of faith, then come back and let me know. Well, I had one man who had been an Assemblies of God pastor and he came back to me and said, well, I don't agree with this or this or this. And then I had another man who uh, had been in a different kind of church, and he was coming, and he said, but pastor, I, I don't agree with this. And then the third family, oh, I don't agree with that. And so finally with one of them, I, I, I said something like this. I said, hey, look, brother, you are welcome to faithfully attend and to be involved at different level than what a member could do, all right? So you're not going to be able to be a church officer, and you're not going to be able to do something like that, but feel free to stay. And so there was a, a little bit of resistance to that, and so my final thing to him was, look, now, if I had 15 different people come to me with 15 different things that they didn't agree with, we would hold nothing in common. There would be no unity in the church. He understood that, and they faithfully attended for several more years, and to show you their love and their, their generosity and their will, when both husband and wife died, they left the church over $40,000, all right? But they were not willing to come to an agreement with on us, and, and we said, okay, that's fine. We're not going to be contentious about this, but we just have to agree to disagree on this. 
right? But it wasn't necessarily a clear teaching. But yet, we had many people that, yeah, sure, we're, we, we're like-minded. And so that, that's fun when you find like-minded brethren. Um, but now, the level of importance, well, it's not essential. Doesn't change the faith. But it is important. And so there are certain things here at Calvary that we hold to that are not at the level of essential, but they are important to us. Okay? And so is it, is it a divine command with no option? No, it's an option. You don't have to submit yourself to that. This is why we willingly ask you to enter into a covenant. And that's what church membership is, by the way. It's a covenant that says, yeah, I would like to join this church family because I'm like-minded and I want to serve my Savior by serving my brother and sister in the Lord. That's what church membership is. It's not a country club mentality where you give your dues and have so many benefits, all right? If I give $50, then I can take home a folding chair for an event that I'm having at my home. That's my right because I'm a giver, all right? No, that's not church membership, all right? So logical conclusions, they're strongly believed, though they're preferences. They're options, though strongly believed. They're very important, even though they're not essential. Now, as a speculation, well, optional obedience there, right? I, I don't go around and say you have to believe in the Byzantine text family, to be a member of this church. All right, that's just completely optional. I don't think that it's in our statement of faith that you have to believe that the church began on the day of Pentecost. Right? That's just not there. So there are certain things that are just not in our statement of faith because we understand that they're speculations or their preferences. All right? So not very important. Um, and so there's no obligation now, sometimes these things become a problem for the church. Let's go over to Acts 15. In Acts chapter 15, what you have in Acts 15 is a big church fight. It's called a no small dissension. Now, they're fighting over a clear biblical statement, and then they're fighting over speculations and preferences. Now, notice what the apostles say about these preferences and the speculations. This is found in verse 10. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the mark of the, the neck of the disciples? which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Now we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, what's the last phrase? Even as they. So Gentiles got saved the same way Jews got saved. Jews get saved the same way Gentiles get saved. And so that was part of the contention in Acts 15. But then also part of the contention was 
that they had to keep the whole law of Moses. They had to keep the dietary restrictions that Moses set forward and all of the other things that were in the law. And so the, the apostles were like this. Why tempt God by putting a heavy burden on these Gentile, these new baby Christians to do things that they're not able to do, nor are they required to do them. Circumcision, the cutting away of male foreskin, that's a Jewish thing, that's not a Gentile thing. Whether you eat pork or not, that's a Jewish thing, that's not a Gentile thing. Whether you keep the Sabbath on sundown Friday, that's a Jewish thing, that's not a Christian thing, that's not a Gentile thing. Um, whether you observe Passover or Hanukkah, Yom Kippur, uh, Sukkot, all right, all of these things, they were trying to say, if they're going to be in the church, they must conform to the law of Moses. And the apostles are like, look, this isn't good. Matter of fact, we didn't really have much success in obeying God in those areas either, did we, guys? All right. So why should we put that on them? And so sometimes what we do is we actually hurt our brothers and sisters by putting something on them that God does not want to be put on them. And so we say, thus says God, when God did not say such a thing. So these are categories of Christian teaching. All right, now are you ready for a very specific targeted application? Oh, come on, shake your head yes. Okay, good, I know you're still with me. And uh, so here's where the danger comes in. All right, are you ready for some danger? Now I say that prayerfully. As my heart and mind went over the message, I said, okay, Lord, please don't open a can of worms. Please let your people listen with the power of the Spirit and help me preach with the power of the Spirit. So here we go. Let's jump in. This is an area where your pastor and deacons have asked me to do. All right, Christian teaching on alcohol. Everybody go. (gasps) Okay. I know that we're not all on the same page in this room. I know that from the very beginning, and it's okay to a certain level. There's some very clear biblical statements. Then there's some speculations, and so we want to to look at this. So let's look at the Christian teaching on alcohol for just a minute. Uh, But first of all, let's go over to 2 Timothy 3.16. What's going to be our guide? Is it going to be pastor's preference? Is it going to be pastor's speculations? Is it going to be a strongly held logical conclusion? I will tell you this. I will make a distinction for you so that you know at what level or what category the Scripture is talking about. All right? Are you with me? All right. So, first of all, 2 Timothy 3.16. In this passage of Scripture, uh, we should be really encouraged because... God has not left us to the whims of humanity. God has given us his word, and that should be a great comfort to us. 
So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? All right. So there's what we're going to get out of this today is some profit. Um, and it's profitable for what? Doctrine. For reproof, that's when doctrine goes wrong. For correction, that's how to get doctrine right. And for instruction in righteousness, that's how to keep doctrine right. All right? Doctrine, what is right. Reproof, when your doctrine goes wrong. For correction, how to get your doctrine right again. And instruction in righteousness, how to keep your doctrine right. All right. So that is what we're going to use, is the Word of God. Now, here's the very, very clear teaching from the Bible on alcohol. Please, take your Bibles, and let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. So, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Very clear teaching from the Scripture. And do not be, what? Drunk with wine. That is a command that we must obey. Straightforward. Drunkenness is not a Christian virtue. Not a virtue even in society. All right? But instead, be filled uh, with the Spirit. So don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, now one other area that I would like us to go to. Let's go over to Proverbs 23 and look at verse 31. Proverbs 23, verse 31. So Psalms, then the book of Proverbs. Twenty-three, verse thirty-one. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. So here is a clear command from the Scripture. Possibly David to Solomon, or Solomon to his son. But he's saying this, look not on the wine when it is red. Well, we don't understand that. It's it's kind of awkward to us. But it is a clear command, and it's something that we even find stated in the New Testament, but differently. So let's quickly go there. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 3 and 8. All right, now, Timothy is receiving instruction from the Holy Spirit, but his spiritual mental Paul is the, the human author here. And he gives him in some instructions on officers in a local church. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have two particular offices, the one for the pastor, one for the deacon, And they each have the same thing mentioned for them in the Scripture. So let's look at verse 3. Did I say 2 Timothy? I said 1 Timothy, and I'm in 2 Timothy, and it just wasn't looking right. All right, it helps to be in the same place as you all. All right, verse 3. 
not what? Given to wine. This is a biblical requirement for the pastor, not given to wine. Uh, No striker, no greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Now go down to verse 8. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, and what's the next phrase? Not given too much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So this phrase, not given to, this is important because it relates to what I was sharing with you from the book of Proverbs chapter 23 in verse 31. Now, one other passage of scripture I want you to go to quickly. So, ladies, you're not exempted. Go just a couple of books over, 2 Timothy, then Titus. Uh, Titus chapter 2. And I want the ladies to to look at this one. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not what? Given too much wine. Teachers of good things. So, obviously we would say pastors and deacons are men, or at least we should, all right? Um, But then here in Titus it says, and the aged women. Now, that's not talking about their physical age. It's talking about their spiritual maturity, okay? They might have some more age, all right, but primarily their spiritual maturity level. Not given too much wine. So, there's three words in the Greek for this phrase, not given. Here they are. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3, it is paroinos, alongside of wine. So the pastor is not supposed to sit with wine. It's not supposed to be alongside of in his life. It's not supposed to be something that he would spend amount of time. That's not his buddy. He's not going to allow that to come alongside of his life. Now, verse 8 is a little different word. It's prosheko. It means to turn one's mind over to. And that's exactly what Solomon was commanding his son in Proverbs 23, verse 31. Don't give your mind over to red wine or to alcohol. Here, the the command is that the deacon not have a mental preoccupation or to pay too much attention to alcoholic beverages. Not spiritually mature. Now, the word in Titus chapter 2, verse 3, ladies, is the Greek word uh, dolu, which means to be enslaved to. All three words carry the idea of definitely your leaders in your church are not alcoholics or drunkards. Now, isn't that amazing that God has to tell the church that? Because this was the first time that the Holy Spirit addressed the church about its spiritual leadership. And from that time forward, then the church is responsible to obey the Lord. Pastors and deacons cannot be given to wine. So it's not something that is 
in their life, as a regular part of their life. It's not their, their friend. It's not something that they think about. Um, now, this might be one of these French words, but do you know what a, a sommelier is? All right. And if you're like me from the Midwest, a sommelier? Okay. Um, it's the waiter who comes with the cloth over his arm and that beautiful glass, and he's got the bottle of wine, and he, okay, are you looking? Out of the bottle, and then he begins to do this, and then, hmm, and then the, hmm, okay? Now, you're gonna say, does the scripture really forbid that? All right, that's an application. Right? But the idea is that we're not looking at alcohol for sensual enjoyment. That's our attitude that goes into this. All right? So these are the level of commands that the Scripture gives to us. Do not be drunk. Don't give our attention to wine, to alcohol. I mean, it, it really should not be a hobby for someone who's going to be in spiritual leadership, whether a man or a woman. Um, we don't want to know the, you know the best wines and the years and the vintages. It's just not something that we give our time to. Okay? So that's what the scripture is saying. Don't have a mental preoccupation for alcohol as a sensual experience. Don't go to that level. All right, so quickly, it's, uh, I might need to continue this. I'm glad that I didn't try to bring up both topics on the same Sunday. All right, I've learned not to do that. So let's do this. Let's go three more minutes and then uh, wrap this up. Let's look at the attitude, okay? And so here's the application um, where we can say this comes to a different level. But let's go over to Psalm 104, verse 15 for just a moment. Because this is one of those Bible verses that comes up all the time by certain Christians who want to have that mental preoccupation with alcohol in their lives. All right? So Psalm 104, verse 15, it says, And wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. All right, so this is talking in verse 13 and 14 about the blessings of God. He that watereth the hills from the chambers, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy work. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and he maketh... Uh, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man. So right there, pastor, is justification that you can get just a little buzz, just a little tippy, so you get to the point where you're happy, all right? See, it's right there. God has done this for us, and it's just great, all right? So that is then in conflict. That attitude is in conflict with what Solomon just told his son. So how do we know what's going on? Well, let's look here in the context. Uh, go back to verse 13 and, and 14, 
okay? What does he do in verse 13? He waters the hills. What does that mean? He sends rain. Are you with me? Yes, shake your head, you're still here. Okay, I've got one minute. Uh, going on, it says here, and then what is the response of the earth in verse 13? It's satisfied. Its basic provisions have been met, and thus the earth is satisfied. So what God is saying in verse 15 is this, that wine is an indication that God provides the basic provisions of life and we're satisfied in God. And our heart is happy because of who God is, not because we're abusing his gift. We're satisfied in who God is. He gives us wine and bread. Do you not know the customs that it used to be in, in culture when your neighbor moved in? You would go over to their home and present them now, I know some cultures are different, but you would present them with bread and wine, sometimes salt. Now, I understand in Hispanic culture, you don't present salt, all right? That, that's scary, all right? Um, but you usually presented bread and wine. Why? Well, it's not just a nice gesture. What you're saying is, this is a really good thing that just happened in life. Your provision of shelter has been met and we want to provide for your basic necessities. Here's bread and wine. Those were the two most basic necessities of a bygone era. Now, internet is the most basic necessity for life now. Okay? So if you walked over with an internet subscription for a free month, your neighbors would love you. All right? So this is just what God is saying. The earth is satisfied with the water that comes. Be satisfied with my gift it's not a justification for abusing it, all right? So it's not that God is saying, oh, yeah, you can get just a little tipsy and enjoy it. That's not what God is saying. God's not saying play with something that's dangerous. So we'll have to continue the message uh, next week because there are some things that go along with this. Um, and so we'll probably finish this with one up. And probably what will end up happening is we'll get halfway through the second topic next week. And so instead of being...